You're listening to the God Center Mom Podcast with me, Heather McFadden. Today, I'm re-releasing an episode I recorded with Mary Flo Ridley, and this is your warning, earbud warning, if you're listening to this with kids around, because today, Mary Flo and I are talking about when to have the talk. Well, back to your original question, which is a question I get all the time, like, so when is the right age to explain uh, conception? Basically, parents are comfortable with everything we've we've said so far like they're they're on board for all of that but then they get very squeamish about when am i going to explain sexual intercourse to my child how am i going to do that and um that's an that's when they get that's when they want to know developmentally when is the right time you know when should i answer that question what if they're asking and they're younger and i don't think it's a, a good idea and i will just say that it's going to be sooner than you think. Um, I had one uh, one pediatrician um, say, take the year that you think you'd be comfortable talking to them, subtract it by three years, and then you'll be two years too late. Now, before you turn this episode off and freak out, uh, the name of this episode is kind of a trick. Because really, the talk, uh, as you hear Mary, Flo, and I discuss it is an ongoing conversation you have with your children starting probably before they're born with you and your husband deciding what is your mission statement then moving on to just educating your your kids on all of the pieces involved and then answering the questions as they come it's a lifetime of talking with your kids and if we don't start when they're younger We're just allowing other voices in their world, other influences to make value statements and to teach them. And they will never view us as the experts because if we knew about this, why did we never talk about it? So I hope this episode is encouraging to you that you are feel equipped. I know when I first heard Mary Flo, it truly gave me like a centering. Sorry to draw that out, but the centering of knowing when my boys brought up the conversation or when the came up, I would be ready. I'd be ready to answer their questions and not only ready, but I would actually have a joy in getting to share with them how God designed our bodies and how exciting it is the privilege we have to create new people. So uh, I can't wait to share that with you. But before we get to it, let's thank our sponsors, Connected Families. I know y'all listened to episode 126 and heard Jim and Lynn share about their amazing peace process, helping us teach our children reconciliation. I know it's helpful for our family. And uh, like I've said, we've had lots of opportunity. Conflict is inevitable in our lives with our with our spouses, with our friends, and with our kids. And if you would like to learn more about how to involve that peace process in your home, go to godcentermom.com backslash siblings. Yes, plural siblings and you can find out about Jim and Lynn Jackson's sibling conflict course. Uh, They will walk you through, hold your hand, teach you all the ins and outs of helping your kids uh, pursue peace in your home. Doesn't that sound good? I mean, the cost of peace, I'll buy it. All right, let's get today's episode. Here we go. Oh, Mary Flo, it's, it's, we're both here in Dallas and it is just pouring rain. So we're praying that the connection stays good and we can have a good little conversation. A nice little rain day chat. Yeah. Rain day chat. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, rainy day chat. So if y'all hear the the thunderbolts of lightning, very very frightening <laughs> behind us, that's what's going on. Um, okay, so Mary Flo, introduce everyone to your family, your husband, your kids. Oh, I'd love to. Okay, I'm married to Dave Ridley, and we've been married 34 years. And um, he's just the love of my life, my best friend. He's a great guy. He loves golf. He works at Southwest Airlines. He's just a great dad and um, just wonderful. Anyway, then we have three children. You, I I kind of already alluded to our topic of conversation. Um, How did you get into writing on this topic? Well, I was a very reluctant to come to this topic. This is not a topic. If you had known me my whole life, you would put me at the end of the line of anyone that would ever talk about this subject. And um, I'm, but I was a volunteer with the Dallas Junior League for a couple of years. And I was, I like to teach. I'd been a high school teacher. And so I was a trainer. Uh, I was on their training team and we would just pick topics that the members were interested in learning about. And then we would research the topics and then we would make a presentation to the members. And so one year we were picking our topics and our chairman said, okay, this year we are going to cover this topic that's been asked for for many years. And it, the question is, will someone please teach us how to talk to our kids about sex? And I thought, oh, my word, that I am not I wouldn't touch that with a 10 foot pole because, first of all, my parents never even used the word sex. If it had rhymed with sex, my parents wouldn't have said it. You know, there was just never a discussion of that in my family ever at all. And then I at that time had a four year old and a one year old. And I thought, I think I'm going to do more than my parents did. But I In my mind, I thought, I have another decade before I need to think about it, so I don't really want to do the research on it. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so that was my thinking while everybody else was mulling this over. I was coming up with my reasons why it couldn't be me. And then (laughs) the chairman just pointed to me and said, Mary Flo, I think you're the person, and um, we will send you to Washington, D.C. to get some training on this. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I have a four-year-old and a one-year-old. I could really use the room service. So I thought... (laughs) I'll just go and I'll learn something, you know, what can it hurt? And and it was in Washington and I thought that sounded exciting. So I grabbed it and went and um, I did not like one thing I heard at this conference. I did not agree with any of it. There was a foregone conclusion that our kids were going to be sexually active starting at a very young age. And I didn't agree with that, that it was an inevitable thing. And, um, just lots of, of the premise of the of the workshop I could not agree with. And yet it was very frightening to see what our children were going to be exposed to at an early age. So I came home and I, I told the chairman that. I said, I, I cannot present what I've been taught, but I'm now very interested and keen on thinking about what Dave and I might do with our children to um, to prepare them, you know, and to shape their sexual character, basically. So how are we going to communicate that? And I said, well, you give me six months. Let me do some research, and then I'll, I'll come back to you. And she agreed. So I sort of um, went about the task of really asking God, God, what, what, how should I do this as a parent? I am a blank page. Would you please write on it? Would you please help me see this the way you see it? Would you help me come up with a plan? And then I would go into bookstores and park my kids at the children's section and I would just start looking and trying to find anything to help me and it was not there. Mm. So um, 
I talked to pediatricians. I talked to youth counselors. I never studied this in school. And um, in fact, my biology teacher was actually a football coach. So I just didn't learn much (laughs) about this. And so I was just sort of on a journey. But as Dave and I talked about it and prayed about it and wondered about it, we kind of came up with a plan for our family. And when I went back to the league, I said, you know, I'm just going to share with you what I've learned in the last six months and what how we're going to deal with it. And you can modify this in any way that fits your family. It needs to be something that fits your family. And so I thought that would be the one time that I did it. But um, people came up afterwards and said, would you present this to our Sunday school class or to our school? And and so that was um, actually almost 30 years ago. Wow. So, no, maybe, yeah. It was. (laughs) Jill's 28. So I started this when she was one. So 27 years ago. And so it's been, I've never really tried to over market it or, you know, never had ambitions except to share it wherever the Lord led me to share it. So that's what I do. And he has open doors too. I mean, you've shared at mom's groups and churches, but you've also, what is one of the coolest audiences I know you told me about? was to a whole room of doctors, right? Tell yes, me more about that. The, um, I was invited to speak at the Medical Institute for Sexual Health, and they had a meeting in Chicago, and um, it was just very, it was at a time where I needed a little encouragement. I was very, um, wasn't sure if what I was presenting was, um, I just didn't have the assurance. And so, because I'm not accredited to do this, I'm really just a mom. I'm really a mom. And, and there's no such thing, right? There's no as such just thing. a mom. Right. Yeah. There's no such I mean, I would go to another mother in a heartbeat. So, anyway, I was speaking from a mother's heart, but I didn't want to lead them in a way that was not good. And so, what was very reassuring was this, this uh, medical institute really actually gave me a standing ovation at the end and was. Um, very reassuring to say if parents would do this, we would not be seeing the devastation uh, and the confusion. There's just so much confusion that children are buying into. And then the sexually transmitted disease, the viruses that are out there that are just multiplying, you know, there's just devastation that is not being reported. Mm. So, you know, it was very very reassuring. Confirming that God has mm-hmm. called you, he's equipped you, and that this isn't just something you've made up that, that doesn't really work, that this is, you've, you've seen it work in your family, and um, I know that it's helped me so much. Um, and what I love is you're kind of a top-down, your top-down approach, and then you're, you're present with your children. So um, for those listening who aren't familiar with some of your information or, or what you've written about, what should a family do first? And before before the topic of mommy, you know, how do you make a baby? Before that question comes up, what should, you know, a husband and wife, what should they do? The first step, I think, is the most critical step. And that is to um, formulate a message that you want your children to have about sex. What is the image you hope your children carry forward in their life of what sex is really all about? And so that's, that's, I, I ask parents to really go through a thoughtful two week process before they actually come up with the words that they would say it, are there, the words that describe their message. For an example, uh, the message yeah. for our family that Dave and I came up with, we, as we were 
talking about it, writing things down, trying to come to a conclusion of really what's the uh, what's the main thing we hope our children learn about sex if they grow up in our family. And to answer that question, we went through kind of a process. And then we realized we, we wanted them to understand the beauty that God designed this to be, and yet the boundaries that he set forth to mm. protect that beauty and also to... Um, to be for our good and f- and for his, the purpose of sex could be protected, the purposes. And so, and what were the purposes? We, and, and you know, as we looked at his word, it was for oneness and for fruitfulness. So those were the things that needed to be protected within marriage. And so anyway, for young children, and really for their, the message we hoped they would receive as a result of conversations and also not just words, but actions and attitudes and everything, was that sex was a gift from God for marriage. That was kind of our overarching idea. And from that idea, we could we could draw vocabulary. We could draw uh, purposeful conversations. We, we had a goal. And that made all the difference because I wasn't just reacting to their questions. I had... A purpose for each conversation. And, and I will tell you just from the outset, no one does this perfectly. And my children would tell you that we did not do it perfectly. Yeah. So it's not a matter of doing it perfectly, but it's a matter of, you know, stepping into the conversation with something on your mind that you're trying to have them understand. Well, and I think that's so important because I think there's such an attitude of fear and um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just kind of like anxiety, anxiety, Mm -hmm. um, stress. I don't know what I'm going to say. How am I going to be able to describe this intimate thing to my children? And what I loved about your approach and, and how you ask us parents to think about it is not with fear, not with anxiety to come in first, like what's the end goal? Okay, you want your children to have a loving relationship with a spouse, and you want grandkids. Yes, yes. Um, And if we look at our best plan and our best message, I think, you know, in a Christian home, that would be our best message, that this is a gift and that um, it's for marriage. And uh, then it, it takes away the fear. And I think another point I got from you is, is that when it does come up just casually, even with a three-year-old, a four-year-old, a five-year-old, especially if you are a young mom who's pregnant again, you'll get these questions from toddlers and preschoolers that you don't have a deer in a headlights look, right? That would be the best. I mean, you're always <laughs> going to be, it's all, I, I'm, I'm actually a splotcher. So even though my <laughs> eyes may look good and my smile might be there. You can see these red whelps on my neck if I'm nervous. So, um, you know, there's just, there's no avoiding that. That's just going to be a part. You can't run away from that. You just have to say, well, you know what? It makes my, it makes me uncomfortable to talk about this, but I've got to pick my pain. Can I endure this pain better than the pain of never being able to discuss this with my children and never being able to go to them with concerns or have them come to me with questions? In my mind, the economy was, you know, such that I was willing to trade. I was willing to say, yes, I will endure this uncomfortable moment and many like it so that later on we can have a family in which this can be 
discussed. And it, and I and I can't say that um, with each child I got there because some children some children don't feel comfortable talking about it. So, but it but at least you can make your case and you can also have a venue for them to have a, an availability to you that they can come to you. They're curious and they're born curious. And you, yeah. and so anyway, that's. Well, and I love your line that you kind of gave me um, when, when a question comes up, you know, you've got your smile on your face, maybe your blotches on your neck, but what are <laughs> the words, what are the words you, that you would say with your kids? We would always say, that is such a great question. I'm so glad you asked me that. And it was like a stalling device, but we we knew we needed a um, pre-designated opening line that was sort of benign so that we could capture our thoughts. And then we needed a pre-designated facial expression. And (laughs) (laughs) I mean, because that's but that's such freedom to be like, I'm so glad you asked. Like that comes to my head, you know. Instead of a, uh, uh, uh. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Because in your. Right. And they usually do ask those things when you're least prepared to talk about them or they're in the grocery store line and you really can't maybe answer. They're in the, you know, you've got other children in the car that aren't yours and you really can't go into this right now. So postponing it just ever so slightly is fine. But usually it's better just to go ahead and have something prepared to answer at the moment. And them seeing you as the expert, that was something else that I remember from everything you've said, like, you know, you have that family member that you go to for a specific topic. Uh, my my father in law is a doctor. If we have questions about an antibiotic or mm-hmm. some medical thing, that's who we go to. If, you know, my mom's re- my mother in law is really good at starting ministries. My mom's really good at cooking and several other things. You just go to that person, right? And so if your kids say, "Oh, my mom, she is one smart cookie, and she seems really calm every time I bring this up," and you would even suggest, you know. Everyone always has the question. Young moms are like, "Well, what do we call those private parts? Do we right? Do we label them? Do we uh, avoid those words and just call it private parts in your in your cute little names and your winky and your yeah? Or do we like do we actually call it what it's the what? What would you recommend? Well, you recommend? actually, that's a great question because that is the second step. We have several steps that that you know, we loosely hold out there as doing this in a certain order. But after you have your message, you know, and it's really clear in your mind where you're going with um, your children in these conversations, then the next step is to really consider your vocabulary. And um, are you going to use the wingy-wangy words? Are you going to use um, medical vocabulary? Are you just going to generalize it and call them privates and not be specific to gender? And um, basically, you know, in Genesis, God says male and female. So what are the words that distinguish male from female? If you have a baby coming, you can talk about when the baby's born, God will have decided if this is going to be a girl or a boy. And we'll know as soon as the baby is born. How do you think we'll know? You can even ask your children questions. And that, you know, I remember my son said, well, if it's a girl, it'll have a bow. You know, (laughs) good guess. But I said, actually, believe it or not, when the baby's born, the baby is born naked with no clothes on. So how do you think? Well, no. And so it it just was, and you know, we're able to describe that, you know, if it is a little girl, she will have 
a vagina, she will have a different configuration. If it's a little boy, he'll have a penis. So that's how that part of your body, like ears are the same and noses are the same and eyes are the same and even feet look the same. But there's something that is different between a girl and a boy. And it's these, and really with our family, we interchanged the medical words with privates. Sometimes we'd call them, you know, so your privates are distinctive between a male and a female. And so we, we, we would kind of go back and forth because there were some times where I thought it was just more polite to use that word, frankly, Mm -hmm. and not Mm -hmm. to be uncomfortable with the medical words, but also not to make other people uncomfortable with words that might make them uncomfortable. So, you know, sort of. And I like that. I like that question too, because in in our home, there's a whole lot of one private part and I am the solimentary carrier of another. (laughs) And so. Oh, penis, we are all like all about that. Right. That word is solid, set in stone, but I rarely ever have a chance or choose to to use the girl's part. And I'm kind of afraid like that if I give them that word, mm-hmm. that they're going to abuse it, you know. Right now my 2-year-old's in a stupid phase where he, and it is a <laughs> stupid phase. It's a stupid phase of using stupid. He has decided that that is his word and so anytime he's upset or just to get attention, he says stupid. And so I'm afraid if I give them the word vagina, they're going to be like vagina, 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 vagina all over town. Right. And people are going to look at me cross-eyed like, oh, my stars, your boys are obsessed. with. (laughs) Do you have any advice for, you know, do you talk to your kids about when it's appropriate to use these words and do you have that conversation once you label them? I think you can. I I really do. I think you can um, draw some manners around them. And, mm-hmm. and just to say, you know, in the comfort of our home, uh, without abuse or being silly or disrespectful, that's the main thing. We don't want to be disrespectful about anything that God made. And God made our bodies. We were fearfully and wonderfully made. So um, this is these are words that describe parts of the body that, you know, I'm just going to require you to always talk respectfully about them. So whether it's their parts or the female parts, you might want to introduce the the uh, word vagina with the story of birth, you know, that that there's an opening between the mother's leg called the vagina, and that is where the baby comes out. And so that it's part of the birth story also for them. So they're not going to run around saying umbilical cord or, you know, uterus. And so vagina might just be a part of that story. But Right. If you're like using all the labels. Yes. And, And then just to bring it to their mind, just say, boys, I feel like you're getting a little out of control with something that I'm going to just, I, I want you to have the right attitude about um, the private parts of your body. And just like mm-hmm. when we go to the swimming pool, we cover those parts up. That's why we call them our privates. They're just not for, for everyone to see. And we also sometimes cover up even the words of them with another word called privates. So mm-hmm. when we're out in public, I think other people would be more comfortable if you called them privates. And we want to think, yeah. be considerate of, of those people. So, you know, it's just a growing process. And he'll grow out of using his stupid word. And, you know, he's not going to hang on to that forever. So it's just like any other thing you teach them or that they hear or that they pick up, you're just going to have to work with them on it a little bit. Well, and another message you talk about is, you know, the timing Mm-hmm. When when is when is the <laughs> right time to have the sex talk? And your answer is <laughs> my answer is that's a very tricky question. Yeah, and um, 
you know, if you've, if you've got your message and you've started using respectful vocabulary and you've ex- actually, I think it's important that you have some preliminary conversations. In mm-hmm. other words, if a child says, mommy, how did that baby get in there? You might want to back it up just a little bit and say, you know what? I, you need to have a little more information before I answer that question. Cause you may want to introduce the idea of birth and then to have the, um, understanding of seeds and eggs that are in all living things. I'm setting up the ideal because sometimes the ideal doesn't happen. But Well, and I mean, you've pointed out before that kids often ask how the baby's going to get out before they ask how it got in, right? That is the typical de- developmental, uh, yes, pr- curiosity. The curiosity is usually children are little problem solvers and they'll say, mommy, how's that baby getting out of you? And I would, I would just jump all over that. Oh, that's a great question. I'm so glad you asked. And then just talk about how that baby, that by God's design, there's a special place where the baby's growing. It's not in my tummy. That's where my food goes. And boys have tummies, but boys don't have uteruses. And a uterus is a special place where a baby grows inside the mommy, grows for about nine months. After nine months, it's time to leave. And so the muscles around the uterus push the baby out of the uterus, through the birth canal, and out a special opening between the mother's legs called the vagina. The baby's born but still is connected to the mom by something called the umbilical cord. So the doctor snips that off, and now we have a new baby in the family. And so you have just at that moment become the expert to them. You, yeah. they have, you have dazzled them with more information, but not with sensual information. You have just explained electricity to them, or you have just explained, you know, something. Mechanics. Uh, yeah. Just the, like, just yeah, the mechanics, the mechanics of it. This yeah. is how. This is where it is right now, and this is how it will come out. And so, and, and you would suggest, like, just answering the question they asked, right? They, they didn't ask for a how-to or, you know, they just asked how the baby going to get out, and you answered that. Yes. But yeah. as a mom, I would encourage you to, to dazzle them with that story. In other words, you could say, well, I go to the hospital, and the doctor takes it out. And that's... That's answering their question to, to your degree of comfort. You have not told them a lie, but you have not, you've missed an opportunity to really draw them in to your expertise and start to draw the picture for them that by, and I used to love to start the, the conversation with these three words, by God's design, because it just puts it all at his feet. I didn't invent this. I didn't make the uterus. I didn't, you know, this is his the beauty of his design is that this is how man and woman reproduce. And if there's a C-section situation, yeah. you could just say, and sometimes, That's what I you know. Actually, yeah. I encourage parents to tell both stories, to say now, you know, after you tell about a vaginal birth, then to say, and, you know, sometimes the baby's in the uterus and is ready to leave and those muscles start working, but the baby will wiggle and is not in a good position to go through the birth canal. And so the doctor will know that and he'll use his instruments to make an opening, a little slit close to where the baby is, and he'll lift the baby out. And notice I didn't say he will take a great big knife and cut your mouth open. (laughs) But using his instruments, he'll make an opening and lift the baby out, and that's called a cesarean section. And that's, you know, I tell parents that's how your cousin was born, or, you know, or maybe, and that's how you were born, but your brother was born the way I described, first of all. You know, so it's... Anyway, you can, I, I think the more they know about birth, 
the more they end up coming back to you with other questions. And well, like if, you said, vocabulary, I mean, any expert knows yes. what things are called. And if you don't use it, then the assumption of a child is you just don't know what it's called. But my friend does, but you don't. Right. Or there's something we don't. We don't do anything else that way. We really try to give them the full picture of what's going on. And, and that's what, that's what they're asking about. And so there is a window of curiosity when they're young about birth and about how things grow. And, and then after they know the story of birth, I would really supplement that with, and, and oh, by the way, you will be telling this story more than once because once you tell them, they will come back and say, now tell me again how that baby gets out. They are fascinated with this, typically. And if they never ask, if you have a child, and we usually at least have one in a family, don't seem to be curious or interested at all, and you feel like this is something they need to know about or you would feel more comfortable if they did know, then go back and, and just say, have you ever wondered how this baby is coming out? You know, if you're pregnant, you can ask that about yourself, or maybe you deliver a meal to a friend who just had a baby. And you say, can you believe Mrs. Owens was carrying that baby inside of her last week, and this week we got to take her dinner and we saw the new baby. Do you ever wonder about how that baby got out? Uh, you know, and act, act interested and available to to tell them how that happened. So, you know. I think, I think that's good. And you always said, like, kids on a farm. <laughs> Don't wonder these things, right? Like they literally watch a, a calf come out of a cow or yes. they are seeing eggs um, from chickens and they're, you know, they, they're watching the whole process. Right. Um, the they're facts of life are being played out in front of them. But these urban kids are kind of clueless. And so, you know. They're clueless until they get hit in the face with either pornography or something that they hear at school. What they are getting, they're getting plenty of sexual messages in the culture. But what. I think, and I get this is where I get very passionate, is that if parents will not miss the opportunity, they can preempt the culture. It's almost, it's not exactly, and it's not 100%, but it's almost like a vaccine. Like if we give them a little bit of information, if we let them know the mechanics and our message, you know, what are our values about this? What does God have to say about this? We can really... Uh, fill their minds with the right information so that when that damaging or degrading or confusing message comes in from the culture at all points <laughs> that, you know, every time they're outside practically, then we, we've got a head start on it. You know, it's like you, you, I think you use the illustration of the sponge, right? Like that right. we either fill it up or we let culture fill it up, but once it's full, there's no more space. <laughs> Right. And and that, you know, if we send our children out into the world with a dry sponge with nothing in it, and if that sponge is, if we label that curiosity about sexual things, which is not a bad thing, it's an innate curiosity, then if we leave that page blank or we leave that sponge dry, then we are just inviting the culture to fill it up. And I don't think that's the picture we want our children to have about sex. So, And if y'all go to Mary Flo's site... I think you have a link to your story with your daughter going to kindergarten. I think so. And, yes, I think that's in there. And, and, and when it's, you know, how young is too young to talk about <laughs> these things, um, to bring up sex with your kids. One, like we've mentioned, it's not a one conversation, one time you sit down with dad when you're 12 and you learn about the birds and the bees. It's like 
embracing the natural curiosity of a child. It's not sensual. It's you becoming the expert, you giving labels, you filling that sponge. And so when you send them out to kindergarten, yes, as young as kindergarten, you have already filled their brain with your message so that their friend on the swing next to them isn't right exactly the message deliver well back to your original question which is a question i get all the time like so when is the right age to explain uh conception basically parents are comfortable with everything we've we've said so far like they're they're on board for all of that but then they get very squeamish about when am i going to explain sexual intercourse to my child how am i going to Mm -hmm. do do that and um that's an that's when they get that's when they want to know developmentally when is the right time you know when should i answer that question what if they're asking and they're younger and i don't think it's a, a good idea and i will just say that it's going to be sooner than you think um i had one pediatric one pediatrician um say take the year that you think you'd be comfortable talking to them subtract it by 3 years and then you'll be two years too late. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. Basically, yeah. your children are not going, your six year olds are not going to school with other six year olds. They are going to school with the oldest sibling of anyone in that room. So, yeah. where, where your firstborn six year old has a certain amount of knowledge, basically nothing in his world goes beyond, you know, uh, the horizon of a six year old. But he yeah. is sitting next to, Someone who's the youngest of four, who has a 16-year-old brother, and who passed the six-year-old horizon long ago because of all the things that are happening in his world that aren't necessarily bad but are so much beyond what your child knows. And so he's seen reruns of Sex in the City or he's seen, you know, um, he's just been exposed to to things that your child is not and he doesn't know other six-year-olds don't know that. Yeah. I mean, it's totally true. Like the things my two-year-old, I think we sat down and watched Star Wars last week. Yeah. Okay. Never would have with my oldest. <laughs> exactly. Okay. You're two. Let's put on Star Wars. No. Heck to the no. I, we like waited no, and waited no, no. to ever show my oldest. And even then it was kind of, there are scenes that are scary. So yes, that's, yeah, that's it's a perfect totally. example. That's a perfect example. Your family yeah. is the age of your oldest child and yeah. everyone else just keeps up. And yeah. so you... You know, I remember when this truth sort of dawned on me that um, every child was not at the same developmental level or at the same exposed level, mm-hmm. that everybody was not going home and watching what my child was watching or or going to the park like we were. They were, they were taking their naps on the sidelines of soccer fields. You know, they just weren't yeah. having reading time and all of those sweet things that we do with our firstborn. And yet... Um, I, you know, there is no school for firstborn children. They're going to have to go out there and face some of these things. So swallowing that reality meant that I was going to have to inform them younger or what I call sooner than you think. It's just going to be um, your best bet. So knowing that, then we, you know, that scared us too a little bit because the last thing we wanted to do was over-centralize our children, and yet we wanted to give them a good picture of what this was. So should I go into that question now? Is that yeah, something else? Yeah, I think so. Get to the, yeah. Let's, I mean, they've been yeah. listening for so long just so they can hear this, right? So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How do you talk to your kids about sex? Exactly. Yes. Okay, so so 
mommy, how did that baby get in there? And once again, we would go to great questions. So glad you asked me. And just to, um, all we're going to do here, now, now I'm not talking to my child, but I'm just talking to parents. All we're going to do here is give them the basic biology and the basic theology. What I'm just going to introduce the characters here. And what I, what Dave and I wanted our children to know was that it, God was involved with a husband and a wife. So instead of saying this is when a man and a woman, and we don't, we don't really talk about um, anything sensual. But basically, this is, this is the answer. Um, well, sweetheart is pretty amazing, but by God's design, a husband and a wife were made to fit together in a very special way. And there's a seed that's deep inside of daddy, and it has to meet with the egg that's deep inside of mommy. So when they fit together in this special way, then the seed and the egg meet, the egg is fertilized, and that's how the baby gets started. Now, that was that was for a just about to turn five in two weeks. That's a very young child. So I didn't go into uh, any other details. All I was doing for her was introducing her to the to a very gauzy idea of a husband and a wife who are one and God who who oversees uh, all of that. Yeah. So we had a seed and egg, a husband and a wife and God. And then, um, you know, it, I have to say it wasn't that much longer before, um, I want to say maybe it was six months or maybe longer, before she came back with, well, what do you mean fits together? Like, I've been thinking about that. And I said, well, it's pretty incredible. But the way God designed it to be is this. See, I'm always blaming him. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, do you remember how I told you that there was a seed inside of daddy and it has to meet with the egg inside of mommy to fertilize the egg? Well, what happens is this. The husband places his penis inside of the wife's vagina. The seed travels through the penis and meets with the egg that's deep inside of the mommy. And that's how that happens. Mm. So it's not, it's not a sensual story. It's more of a mechanical story for a young child. Now we know that sex is a very powerful thing. We know that sex is, you know, can overcome you. So later on in, in down the road, you do introduce more details, more dangers, more pleasures. You, you, you bring those later. But with a young child, that they can't really relate to those things. And so they're, they're curious about the mechanics of it. And, and so that's where we stay and, and introduce the topic on that level. I think it's great. And, and I love, you know, there's so many great ideas that Mary Flo has. I really hope y'all, now that you've heard Mary Flo, hear her heart behind her information, that you will get her books and that you will follow um, along because she has great ideas for, you know, taking a little weekend retreat with your child, mapping out their life, looking at the impacts of decisions and long-term goals. And um, I just really, I hope y'all are encouraged to not fear this conversation and that you can be the expert with your kids. It's so good, Mary Flo. I'm so thankful for you. Thank you, Heather. Thank you. I'm so thankful you took the time and wrote it down and followed God's calling and um, even if it happened in the craziest way <laughs> of being picked. <laughs> well, thank it's, you. Um, it's very, it's been very exciting. And just because I know it's revolutionary, especially for conservative people to, um, to think about doing this sooner rather than later. But I think we will find that uh, we reap the benefits of it. 
So I encourage you. Well, I love it, and I am thankful for you and having you in my life and um, for you taking the time today to share your heart with with the listeners. So thank thank you. you. Thank you. And I hope you have a great rainy day. I know it. I know it. It's clearing up. It's clearing up. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Heather. All right. Thanks. So if y'all want to learn more, go to maryflow.org. She also has a couple resources, God's Very Good Design and Simple Truths. There's CDs that you can listen to with your friends, gather a small group together, and listen to those. Uh, One other thing. Now, for those of you that still aren't convinced that you should bring up this conversation with your kids at younger ages, I want to share a story that Mary Flo shares. I think I think I put the link in the post that goes along with this episode, but uh, it's a story of her daughter after her first day of kindergarten. She had come home, and Mary Flo was asking her if she made any friends, and her daughter said, yes, I met Sally, and Mary Flo asked, oh, tell me about Sally, and she said, oh, she's so nice, and whatever, whatever, and she said, but I don't think you'll ever let me go over to her house. And Mary Flo said, well, why do you say that? Well, Sally's older brother picks her up from school. And then he goes home and he has sex with his girlfriend. And Sally watches. And that doesn't really match up with dad, what daddy says is okay. And Mary Flo's jaw drops. And she's like trying not to overreact like she taught us. Uh, And she said, oh, you are so smart. How did you know that would not be okay? She said, well, you and daddy always say that that is something that's intended as a good thing God designed is intended for marriage. And they're not married, I asked. And Mary Flo just pictures in her head these two little girls on the swing and this conversation going on and her daughter asking, are they married? No. Oh. And then she said, uh, and the other day we were watching TV and something came on. There was a guy and a girl and And daddy said that that's something that's private and people shouldn't watch. And he changed the channel. And so Mary Flo realized, she said, you know, this could have gone one of two ways. And and like she shared in this episode, kindergartens are not full of firstborn children. So you're going to, you can't control uh, how, what information, even in a, you know, private school, Christian school, you don't know what information your children are getting because whatever the oldest child in the home is, that is the child of that is the age of that kindergarten child. So this Sally has maybe a 16-year-old brother. She's being exposed to 16-year-old things. And so her daughter's sitting next to this. She said, if we hadn't have filled up that sponge before we sent her off to kindergarten, she would have heard the messages that sex is something that you do with a girlfriend or a boyfriend in high school and that other people watch. That no information had filled that sponge yet. So her daughter would have absorbed those comments from that kindergarten friend without really considering whether it was in line with her family values or not. But because Mary Flo and her husband had had these conversations ongoing as they go along the way, then her daughter already had a full sponge to then weigh information she's getting in her kindergarten class to say, is this match up with our beliefs or not? So I don't know if that encourages you, scares you. I know God can redeem all of our choices if you are someone who maybe didn't live your life in a way that lines up with what we just described as God's best. I fully believe that God can redeem that, that there should be no shame in you or guilt, that we are all on a journey and that he is working for our hearts and uh, whatever choices we make, he can redeem. And even choices that involve children uh, and our own families, I've seen God work um, miraculous things through adoptions and, and 
my own family members that God has brought that wouldn't have if if everyone had done everything the best quote-unquote way. So I don't think any guilt should be added to this conversation or shame. But if you're looking forward for your own children's best, I think that um, every parent desires that for their child. And to walk in confidence uh, that you can help your children have a healthy perspective of this wonderful gift we've been given from God. Um, I just want to equip you in that. And so no guilt, no shame, move forward in confidence. It's going to be good. All right. Have a great day. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the God-Centered Mom podcast. If you're looking for more resources on how to replace me with he, go to GodCenteredMom.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guest. I want you to really understand and know that God is just as present while you are washing dishes at your kitchen sink as while you are worshiping Him in a church pew. He sees your service to your family and He is pleased. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Have a great day.